All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Real Conversations podcast. I am your host, Kelly Scar. And today, um, you know, we have a, a, a really special guest with us today. Uh, I'm actually firing up the podcast here for the first time in a couple of months. I was, uh, you know, took a little bit of a layoff. I got right into it, six episodes deep, like right through the middle of, of COVID because, you know, we really didn't have much else to do. So I was getting into all these really great conversations and, uh, uh, all of a sudden, you know, life just got busy. Business started to pick back up, and and I uh, decided, well, let's let's jump back into this whole podcasting again. You know, kind of going in towards the end of the year. So, I wouldn't say it's it's like seasons, but uh, you know, like you know how they've gotten on TV and stuff like that. Season one, season two, but you know, six episodes in, a little bit of a break. Now we're we're going into episode seven today. We've got a, a really great guest, local agent to the Calgary market. He's actually based out of Okotoks as well. His name is Robin Shidlowski. It's Shidlowski, right? Absolutely. Oh, I nailed it on the first, first go. Awesome. Awesome. So we've got Robin Shidlowski. Um, you were in construction prior to being in real estate. Yep. Right. Yeah, so in 20, construction, 21 years in, uh, construction, uh, came out in 93 and, uh, basically started, uh, working in underground, um, then went into uh, a little bit more road building and paving and then got into, uh, actual house construction and, residential excavation. So that's kind of where I left off uh, my career in construction and obviously wow. got into real estate. Um, got really excited about that back in 2013, 2014, when my wife and I started looking at getting investment properties for ourselves. So there was a little right. bit of a, a migration there to uh, something that we've always kind of done a lot of is uh, cruising around in new neighborhoods, looking at houses and kind of dreaming about stuff and then actually being able to help people uh, find houses and, uh, you know, make that dream a reality as well. It, it all kind of fit together really nicely at around right that time frame in uh, 2014, 2015, when I started getting my license. So you've got a really wide ranging construction background, um, wanted to get out of the the daily grind of construction and getting your hands dirty. And, you know, I mean, I was in construction as well. I was, I was a welder, you know, people know that, um, you know, I, I got into the fabrication side of things, got out of, uh, you know, having to go out to the field and set up buildings and stuff like that. And I wound up in a shop, you know, spinning vessels and pipe and stuff like that. And, you know, and do, do and be pressure stuff. So it, a lot of that was pretty mind numbing. The fabrication side is where I really, what I really loved and really excel that because I got to use my brain power. Right. right. And so I think we exited our, our respective trades for pretty much the same reason. Uh, and that was, you know, we wanted just a, a, a different lifestyle, I think. Right. That was definitely what it was for me. Um, so you, you made this migration from, you know, building houses to actually now selling houses. Right. So, so why don't we just back up just a, a quick second here. Where are you from? When did you come to Alberta? Um, did you move straight to Calgary? Did you go to Okotoks? Like, what was the migration? What did that look like there? Yeah, so initially, like, I, I grew up in a small town in Saskatchewan. And uh, in 93, when I graduated, uh, it was really, uh, you know, dismal in Saskatchewan. There wasn't a lot of opportunities out there for me. So it just uh, it seemed natural. Uh, there was lots of good stuff happening in Alberta. And, it, it, you know, I came to Calgary. I had a couple sisters that had moved here. And it, it felt like a good place. Like I really didn't know what I wanted to do at the time. I just, I knew I wanted to do something. So um, naturally uh, went, came out here, started applying for jobs. Uh, did, uh, I was actually, it was an interesting story because um, I wasn't finding anything. Like I had applied from anything from vacuum cleaner salesman to uh, pumping gas. And I hadn't heard anything back. It, it was like, I think it was a bit of a tough time here too. And I'd actually packed all my stuff in my car and was leaving and uh i say goodbye to my sister and as i was getting in my car she comes running out she said hey there's a there's a guy on the phone here uh from whistle contracting and uh, it was uh, it was lyle laforge at the time and he just uh you know we got on i got on the call with him and uh, he said you know are you looking to you know get a job here and i was like absolutely and uh, then it kind of just took off from there so I worked seasonally. Um, that was kind of the way that it was. Uh, so basically April to November, December, and then uh, you get laid off every winter kind of in that, in that seasonal constructional biz. But uh, then I started looking for stuff where I could keep myself busy here in the wintertime. That's where I started getting into, into residential excavation and stuff like that, because we all know that the house building industry goes 12 months of the year. So that kind of right. uh, fit well for me. And my thing that I really, really uh, enjoyed was operating equipment and moving earth. That was like my favorite thing. Um, at the peak of my career, I guess I would have probably been uh, 
operating an excavator. That would have been the most fun job that I had, but sitting on a piece of iron 12 hours out of the day, um, wasn't, it didn't really fit with family, uh, dynamics. So that's when I got into the more, uh, foreman style, superintendent style stuff where you had a little bit more control of your schedule, but there was still right. really, really demanding, uh, aspects of that job as well. Right. So, so that's interesting. So, so you come out here, there's really no work or you, before you come out here, you say goodbye to your sister, all of a sudden this, this phone call comes through and boom, now you're working, right? You come out to, so that Alberta advantage really just kind of kicked in. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Awesome. Yeah. So then, so at what point, like what was the tipping point for you where it was like, shit, I got to get out of this, man. This is craziness. I, I, you know, I want a different lifestyle for myself. Like, what was that? What was that? Everybody's got that one tipping point, right? Probably the tipping point for me would have been, uh, I start like I was basically a foreman with the company, um, union, really strong union minded. And then kind of it quickly became apparent that if I was just going to stay with the union, I'd stay as a foreman. And that was basically the end of where I would go. So I started looking past that and looking into getting into a superintendent, being more of a company man, taking a salary and all of that stuff, which obviously came with a cut in pay. But the part of it that was a real tipping point for me, it was even climbing the ladder that high. I was looking at the managers and the uh, presidents of companies and I'm like, they're still answering to shareholders. There's still that whole dynamic of the fist pounding on the table. How do we make more money? And it was just, with construction, there was always that little bit of a, a kind of a transient angle where if a company was all of a sudden changing their their tune, you had to really shift with it. And I wanted to get into something where there was no way that anybody could mess with my pool of clients. And that was where real estate became really attractive because it's like the only person that can really screw up my database is me by not managing it properly. And I think that was the real attraction to real estate was that how do I create a business for myself that I'm in hundred percent control of nobody else is going to say like, yeah, you know what, this division is not making money. So we're going to make this shift. And I'm, I'm constantly on the fly um, real estate. Obviously you got to stay current and you got to stay on the fly, but it's my own uh, like I'm in it for me kind of a thing. And I'm right. in control of my own destiny with it. Work as hard yeah. as you want, make as much money as you want. That was the real attraction to real estate for me. So, Okay. So we have like, you know, we, I think we've established, we have very similar histories. Right. And I think we, we, I, I was kind of at the top of my game in terms of um, where I could go with the trade. Right. I think the next progression probably would have been like going and taking scuba diving lessons and then going and doing welding underwater. Right. (laughs) Which is, is an actual thing. Like there's a company in Vancouver that trains welders how to scuba dive and they can actually go and work on wreckages and ships and stuff like that. That wasn't really something that I wanted to do. Right. And so I kind of, probably not for your, probably not for your health either. Um, no, that I hear that takes like years off of your life expectancy. No, oh, yeah, absolutely. So it wasn't really something that I was, I was very interested in doing. So it was like, okay, well, what's what's my natural next progression? What what do I think I can really excel at? That said, I was an employee my entire life. I started working when I was 11 years old. I was, you know, delivering papers as an 11 year old kid, riding my bike through the neighborhood, you know, throwing the papers at, at the front step that progressed into getting a job with my, you know, my dad had a, um, uh, what do you call it? A, uh, a detailing, a vehicle detailing company. So I worked there and then, you know, I, I wound up working at the, you know, the hot dog stand in the mall and then wound up working at, you know, at a, at a, at a Zellers in, in, in another mall. And, you know, it just kind of progressed. So I've, I've, I've always been an employee, but I've always had this kind of mindset of, you know, within my job, I feel like I can be more efficient and I can do things better than what they're telling me. So I'm just going to go ahead and, and so that's kind of where I, I, I really excelled at the, at the employee positions. It was like, well, I was always kind of moving up because I always had these, these different ideas about how to do the thing that they were telling me to do, which I think really helped me moving into, you know, shifting careers. So that said, how did you, how did you, change your mindset going from an employee type mindset to an entrepreneur, self-starter, somebody that had to, you know, you had to, you had to figure out a way to get out of bed in the morning, right. To go and do something that you really hope that you were going to excel at. So how did you shift that mindset, man? Cause that, that definitely isn't easy. Uh, very carefully. So, and, and literally in, um, 
getting the uh, real estate licensing, there was a there was a turning point. Uh, one of the companies that I was working for, um, they had a vision, uh, didn't necessarily align with my vision, and that was kind of uh, around 2014 when I really, really decided that I was going to uh, jump in and get my real estate license. So there was a, you know, a time frame where I just um, I was going to do both. Like I kind of merged into it. I was in a position where, like, I've always looked at uh, construction as um, how do we fix problems? And that was where I was really, really um, successful because it didn't matter what came at you, there was a solution. So I really quickly learned how to uh, make uh, connections with people that could really solve problems. Like if you had, uh, you know, a bunch of gravel coming down the road, everything kind of happened on the fly and there was no real... uh, uh, like, okay, well, we can just put that off till tomorrow kind of thing. It's like, no, if this doesn't happen today, we're going to lose product. We're going to lose money. So, I mean, there was that part of it that um, I wasn't, I'm not quite sure where I was really going with that whole uh, aspect of the uh, having yourself lined up with the right people. But what I heard in real estate a lot was people that had, had bad experiences, maybe that uh, they didn't know what was uh, they were really getting into and so I kind of took that same approach with real estate and sort of applied that to all of my clients and I lined Mixing myself problems. with people that could help them. So home inspectors, um, lawyers, all of that stuff. I wanted it to be a streamlined process, if that makes sense. So in starting off initially, when I say I, I did that very carefully, I maintained the ability to run three graveling crews with a busy paving company and kind of sell real estate at the same time. So I was like wearing two hats. Um, mm-hmm. I had crews that were out in the field working. Um, I had, I kind of started, you know, reaching out to people. It wasn't like a, a really loud splash where I announced to everybody that, uh, hey, I'm selling real estate. I kind of did it. I sort of wanted to dip my toe in the water and see if that was something that I liked. So right. when I say carefully, it probably took me about six months before I really realized that I absolutely loved selling real estate. And that it was, uh, you know, a time to move on and, uh, you know, part ways amicably, obviously, with the company that I was working for, which was really cool, um, and just really launch into selling real estate. So I had to be really careful, wanted to make sure it was something that really fit for me. And then once I, I made that realization, it was like no looking back from there. Yeah, man, I remember. So again, similar histories, right? Like I, I, uh, I wound up leaving well, I was, I was doing it part-time. So I was like, you know, um, same as you sort of thing, right. I'd be on the shop floor on my Blackberry, right. This is back in 07. My boss would come into my booth and he'd be like, Hey, what the hell are you doing? And I'd be like, get the hell out of here. I'm getting my job done. I'm also I'm on the phone, right. Leave me alone sort of thing. And so I did that from August of 2007 until April of 2008. Um, so it was a little bit longer transition point for me, but you know, ultimately I, I knew layoffs were coming. I knew I was going to, I was on the chopping block at some point. And so, you know, I went to my wife and I just said, I'm giving my two weeks notice. I'm going into this full bore. And I, I still remember that, at, 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 you know, my last day at work, that, that two week time frame ended and I wound up getting up the next day and I didn't have to go in at like <laughs> five in the morning, right. To my job and continue on with the same pattern. And so what I was able to do prior to that was repattern my, like rewire my brain to understand that there's going to be new patterns that develop, right? I have to get into the mindset of getting up, getting ready for work and actually going physically into the office, right? And so for me, going from an employee type mindset to an entrepreneur, to a self-starting type mindset, I still had to continue with the same old patterns, but now I was working for myself, right? And I knew full well that if I wasn't in the office every single day, making the calls that I needed to make and doing the things that I needed to do, that I wouldn't be making any money. And I'd wind up having to go back to that shitty job that I hated, right? And there was no goddamn way that that was going to happen. Right. So was it the same kind of for you? Like when, once you made that transition out, were you like, okay, I'm going to start hitting the office. I'm going to like, how did you start to, how how did you rewire the brain? How did you reframe the pattern? And then from there, how did you start to acquire clients and and actually start to turn over business where you didn't have to go back to a part-time position? There's a lot there to unpack, man. So take your time. Totally. Like early on, um, I'd say like after I got my license, there was definitely a period where I was like, okay, now what do I do? 
And that took, that took a while, obviously. So I'd go into the brokerage, talk to other agents, different stuff like that. And I mean, I still, I knew I had the comfort of having that uh, salary coming in steady. So I knew that the bills were taken care of. And like when I say it took six months, it, it literally did. And it was connecting to the right people. And very early on, I, I kind of got involved in a team style setting where uh, there was an individual at the brokerage that had a really good lead generating uh, website and like basically was farming out leads. So it kind of started as a bit of a, a, a like here, I'll, I'll, I'll send you a lead, see what happens with it. And so I was able to get a number from somebody that had inquired on a website and make a call and start that conversation. And that has, a, that has its own learning curve in itself because being able to understand that a lot of times people want to talk about, uh, you know, their, their experiences and, and, you know, if you just, get on the phone with them and start hammering them about, like, hey, do you want to see this? Do you want to see that? And you're not asking them the right questions. Um, they're probably going to get turned off and they're going to look in a different direction for somebody to help guide them through the process. So there was a bit of that, but like early on, having getting into that team um, uh, setting, I was able to start doing a lot of business and have a lot of it, get a lot of experience and then kind of, um, you know, start feeling really confident and gain that confidence that I knew that if, so, if somebody would call, I could just, I could take it on the fly. And then I also was able to um, create that same scenario like I had in construction where you knew that, uh, you know, if you needed a condo doc reader that was going to be um, speaking to the client in the same way or a mortgage agent or um, anybody like that, I was able to direct people in the right uh, direction so that it was, a, it was a streamlined experience. And they're like, I mean, I've always heard like, no surprise is the best surprise, um, or there is no good surprise um, right. in that. Like, let's find out what we're getting into. And then as long as we know what's happening every step of the way, um, things are gonna be fine. So um, I did that. And then, like I said, about three years into doing a, a heavy volume of business, I started seeing a, a little bit of a, a gap in the business where it was like, I was always kind of looking forward, but never looking back, never really looking back at past clients and all of that stuff. And I mean, you kind of hear about some of the big um, players from the States, the Zillows, the um, Amazons that are looking at doing real estate in a different way. And I'm like, you know, that, that lead space can be uh, really hard to stay current in. And I'm like, okay, I, there's gotta be another way than just kind of like looking ahead and, dealing with new business constantly, there has to be a way to create referrals, create other, um, you know, business from past clients and stuff like that. So I really started looking at that part of it. And that so was would where... you, would you say that it's fair to say that you were fairly transactional during that three-year time frame? that you weren't looking at database management, that you weren't looking at pulling referrals and stuff like, you know, all of these coaches that are out there, they say like the metric is for every hundred, hundred clients in your database, you should be able to pull like 10% uh, of the actual database in terms of deals. Right. So 10 transactions out of that database. Right. So you were just very transactional, get the deal done, move on to the next one, move on to the next one. Yeah. 100%. So what, what, what was going back to a tipping point? How did you come to realize that? Um, because that, I mean, that's I mean, amazing was, insight to actually sit down. Like I talk to real estate agents all the time, right? And you know, for for somebody to actually sit down and have that 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 foresight to be able to understand that their business has become very transactional, and to go, holy shit! Like, what about all these other people that I've left behind? Like, how how can I help to service them further or whatever? Right? Like, however you want to look at your database management. What was it kind of that tipping point that kind of set you off? Well, I mean, you don't want to be dependent on only one thing, right? And if it was only the leads that were coming in, what happens, uh, say, for example, some big player goes and buys a, a domain and then all of a sudden your one lead generation site is shut down. All of a sudden your volume gets cut in half. How do you keep growing? So for me, I looked at that as like, okay, that's a problem. Um, right. I, I want to be able to continue to succeed in real estate. How do I do that? So, I mean, looking at uh, more client retention type stuff and actually like doing an annual checkup with clients and just staying top of mind became really, really, um, I think that that was almost would have been half of what my business projectile would have been to look at like, okay, I want to focus 50% of my time on past clients and maybe only 50% of my time on new clients. 
right. that were coming through that were coming through the lead site, right? So, you know, in my day, um, in my day to day, instead of just waiting for the phone to go bing and then I'm off chasing somebody else in another direction, I was spending a good part of my day sending out, you know, notes, sending out uh, just uh, hey, hello, how's it going, kind of stuff, and just connecting with past clients. And then it kind of started, like, I was able to actually start to see like, all of a sudden, hey, I'd get a, I'd get a call from somebody that said, hey, you know, uh, we got your number from so-and-so, would you mind helping us out? And I was like, well, that was the best feeling in the whole world. Getting a referral and then working with somebody that has already kind of got that trust based on, you know, getting your name from somebody else was so much different than just calling somebody up out of the blue and having to build that trust from scratch. It was like, now all of a sudden I'm working with somebody that's already halfway there. Yeah. I mean, go, go online, go on to Facebook, go on, go on to Instagram, look at your friends list and look at how many people say, Hey, I need a plumber ASAP. Who's got somebody that can write, Hey, I need an electrician right away. Who's got somebody they can refer. Like they're, they're going to someone that they've, that they know, like, and trust that they, that they, and hopefully that person has had a good experience with that tradesperson or whatever that service provider is, right? They're going based off of the relationship that they had with, with that other person. And so they're going to be more than happy if they had a good experience, they're going to be more than happy to pass that along. I mean, it's the same thing with real estate. This just happened to you here not too long ago on just right on Facebook, right? It was like, we were talking about this the other day where it was like, well, do I continue with my Facebook business page or do I get rid of that and just focus on my personal page? And right. So like, I mean, I've had so many discussions around this, like keep the, keep the business page. Cause you want to be able to run ads, but focus a lot more of your attention onto your business or onto your personal page, because, you know, just because of that same scenario, right? If, if people are seeing, so what happened? Like you were, you're posting stuff about some of the deals or some of the, you know, whatever it was that was going on in your business life. And somebody reached out to you here recently and said, Hey, it looks like you're really busy. We want to give you a shot or whatever the conversation was. I want to steal the yeah, words. Absolutely. Out of your mouth, it was a, it was a past colleague from, I'd say probably 2013, 2014. And, you know, you have this, you create this list of friends and I mean, Facebook's a kind of a crazy weird space to try and, you know, show people what you do but at the same time it's just kind of there are people that will consistently watch and notice and you won't you won't necessarily know so you want to create this content for facebook that yes i'm a busy real estate agent yes i I do stuff with the family and just you want to kind of create a story and then like all of a sudden just out of the blue uh i got a, a messenger um uh, message from somebody that said, Hey, you know, we, uh, we're, we're thinking about selling our house. And so we just picked up that conversation. They had been listed with another agent in the past, but they, it just didn't seem that they were getting the attention that they wanted. So we went through that step-by-step uh, step, got their property listed and uh, you know, in doing what they expected and knowing what they expected, because I mean, obviously they didn't feel they were getting the attention. So with a listing, you're calling them once a week, letting them know how it's going, even if you're not getting showings, just giving them the peace of mind of knowing that you're on it um, and like following up. I mean, hold on a second. Are you saying pro- communication is like the biggest key yeah. to success in this business? Is that what you're saying? I would say oh, that's, would that's say crazy. Imagine letting that. people letting people know what's going on. And you always say fortune is in the follow up. And like, I think one of the biggest things with, um, you know, trust and building a really good um I guess just um, the word I'm looking for uh, credibility is if you say you're going to do something, do it, follow through. Mm -hmm. So like, that's as simple as like you, if I tell somebody that I'm going to send them an email or I'm going to send them a list of properties, if I don't send that to them, how trustworthy am I? I, I've like literally dropped the ball. They're going to be like, well, he said he was going to send it, but I wonder if I, I wonder if that's how he is all the time. Right. Versus, you know what, if you just, if you say you're going to do something, do it. So if that's as simple as setting somebody up to show them the properties when they're listed that are uh, in their neighborhood so that they can kind of keep track of what's selling, different stuff like that, just do it. And that's, I think, a big part that a lot of people fall down on. They always say that they're going to do something, but they never really follow through. Yeah, man. I'd sage advice. I mean, I, I, I'm trying to teach this to my kids right now too. It's like, you know, what you say matters. 
right? What you say matters and in every aspect. So how you say it and what you say matters. So, you know, if, if my son is sitting there and he's being a little bit insolent and, you know, he's coming across as being a know-it-all at 12 years old, which he often does, right? I stop him and I say, listen, how you say what you're saying right now matters, right? Think about how you're making that other person feel. Doesn't matter if you think they're stupid, you can't come across thinking that they're like making them feel stupid, right? It doesn't matter what you think, like you, you've got to treat people like they want to be treated. And, and exactly what you said, putting yourself in the buyer's shoes, putting yourself in the seller's shoes, right? You know, going back to what you said earlier in terms of you guys going out and buying rental properties and you looked at it and you're like, Jesus, like we're not super happy with what we've, what we've like what we've got here in terms of service, I could probably do this a whole lot better. Do you know how many times I hear that, man? Like agents that get into the business, they're like, yeah, I bought rental properties or I bought this property. I wasn't happy. I could do this so much better than the person that helped me, right? And so that's a, a big part of the reason why I think a lot of agents wind up getting into the business is because they, they see this great opportunity, this massive gap between the really good agents that are taking their time and servicing their clients and doing a good job and not being transactional about it versus the ones that are just like one and done and on to the next. Well, and it really was, it really was the difference uh, when, when we set out to do that. And like I said, in construction, um, you know, being in a fixed salary um, with kids that were, you know, starting to get into the more expensive things in life, as I like to call them, dance and different stuff like that. Um, my wife and I had built up a really nice nest egg through some, you know, purchases and sales. Um, you know, we were lucky enough to buy early in 2000 and then we made a couple of moves that uh, we, we had some equity, but the, the real factor that scared me was when my daughters were getting older and we were starting to dip into that nest egg. And I'm like, man, this is, this is shrinking and I'm not growing in income enough to match the way that we're shrinking that uh, and like i thought what are we going to do to offset that and that's when the rental property idea came to mind because it's like you know um you've got a tenant that covers your mortgage if you do it well um landlords get rich in their sleep it's right that's the way it happens if you do it right so you know we decided that hey we're going to take this equity um i had no idea about how real estate worked and I'm sure that I stressed out so many lenders and so many people by just thinking that I knew what I was doing I've got you know x amount of money for down payment I know I knew I needed 20% down and I didn't even take into consideration debt service ratios I was like that meant nothing to me at the time I was just like I've got money I'm going to buy a house that's it so we did and it's it's one of the best things that we've we've ever done and and part of it was at first working with an agent that wasn't on it and we kept missing out on property after property. Like we bought in a peak market where you literally have to be the first one through the door. And I can remember talking to my agent as we were leaving with another agent coming in and I'm like, yeah, we want this place. Literally that's how quick it had to happen. And we were, you know, there was no negotiation. We didn't even review condo docs back in 2014. So we just jumped into that and it was, it was finding that second agent that really made a difference because that guy was on it. He was awesome. And that was what, like, we had some conversations and he looked at what I did in construction and he was like, man, you should really consider a career in real estate. It had never really dawned on me before he actually said that to me. It was, right. it was sort of cool the way that that happened. And I was just like, okay, you know what? I think this could be the time. And like, I'm, I'm not a young man by any means, but like I had always kind of anticipated that at the end of my career in construction, I may look at real estate as something that I can do after, um, you know, I'm collecting a pension and all of this stuff, man, Kelly, I got to tell you, I'm so glad that I made the switch when I did um, because I'm going to have 20 or 25 years to grow a real estate business versus trying to jump into something when it's like, man, so far gone, you know, I've looked at the learning curve that I've had to go through um, in switching from construction to real estate. And it's, it's man, it's challenging. Like there's not a moment in it where it's like, you're not constantly trying to rethink, how am I going to do things better? How am I get your, you know, you're looking at lists of names and you're like, okay, who's going to transact next. And you're always trying to reinvent the way that you do your business so that you can be the best. Like that's mm-hmm. what I love about it. I love pushing myself. And that's, I mean, real estate, it's as rewarding as you want to make it. 
So five years in the business, you spent uh, the last, what was it, three years on a team? Uh, so yeah, it would have been, well, it would have been the first three years would have been on a team. And then the last okay. uh, year and a half here, I've been on my own as a single agent. And uh, man, the reward in doing that uh, has been fantastic. I've really enjoyed yeah. uh, that dynamic of it. Yeah. So, you know, we, we had this, we had a conversation kind of when we were prepping for this call and we, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about um, the transition from being on a team and, you know, going solo. And, and so, you know, you know, knowing what I know, there's a lot of agents will leave teams, they'll leave brokerages for one of three reasons or potentially all three. One is, um, you know, money, right? Money all be, always becomes a factor. Um, number two is going to be culture, right? So it's maybe there, it's not the same team or the same brokerage that it was before when, when that person joined. You know, and number three is going to be competition. Well, maybe you don't want to compete with my broker. Maybe you don't want to compete with my team leader, right? Um, so yeah. any one of those three, I've, I've heard it said that, you know, from other, you know, top level brokerage owners, managers and stuff like that, that agents will typically leave when they come into crisis as well, right? And that, that broker owner, manager, team leader, if they are there with that agent through that crisis, or they're seen to be accessible through that crisis, good chance that that agent's going to stick around, Right. Otherwise, that agent is going to wind up changing the, you know, changing their lifestyle, changing their habits, changing their car, changing their house, right? They're going to go through all of these changes. And, you know, one of those changes is likely going to be, you know, exiting the team or exiting, uh, exiting the brokerage, whatever the case is. So I'm not going to ask you why I left. I, I know full well that there's probably one of the, one of those three reasons or a combination of the three. It doesn't really matter to me. What I'm, what I'm interested to find out is, is knowing what I know about team agents, when they exit a team, they, they either flounder or they flourish, right? And, and the majority of them flounder because of the reasons why they join a team in the first place. And it's, it's funny because the reason why they leave, the three reasons why they leave are the same three reasons as to why they join, right? Or the two out of the three reasons as to why they join. Mm -hmm. So somewhere down the line, there becomes a disconnect. How did you wind up flourishing in your business? Like, how did you go from being a team agent to a solo, solo agent and selling, you know, tons of homes over the course of the last year and a half and being super, super successful? Well, I think like part of it was like, I think a lot of agents will leave a team and then they'll make another change at the same time. And like, they'll go to a different brokerage. And so then I guess you have to really kind of figure out like, was it the brokerage change that made a difference? Was it the getting off a team that made a difference? So like that part of it, I knew that uh, I liked the brokerage that I was at. And I, I can remember the morning that I uh, walked into my broker's office and I, I just kind of said like, look, you know what? I'm not hundred percent happy with the direction that things are going. I said, I want to be in control of my own destiny again. How do I do that? And he looked at me and he said, you're, you're an awesome agent. And he said three words, you've got this. And it was like, you know, just keep, keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a lot. Like I was doing lots of business at the time. I just wasn't happy about the way that it was. I, I wasn't happy about the direction that it was taking. And I wanted to stop that early and kind of fix that. So staying at the brokerage, um, that was a good decision for me because I was able to say like, look, I'm in the same, I've got the same brand. Everything is the same. I just, I'm not on the team anymore and I can, you know, find out, Hey, I'm, I'm either going to cut it on my own or I'm not. And there's always, a there's, it's actually like kind of, I guess, maybe putting my feet to the fire because it's like all those people are right around you. And it's like, I can't just slink away to another brokerage and well, whatever happens, happens. It's like, no, you know what? There's going to be a bit of accountability here. And I think that's the big part of what really made it uh, hit home. It's like, I, I can rise and level up to where I'm on my own as an agent or I'm going to fail and, and wither out. And then probably maybe if that was what happened, I'd be back in construction by now because I'd be so miserable that I wouldn't uh, feel like going out and helping clients anymore. But I found it was quite the opposite. And like part of having that support is really important. Um, and you, you know, you get that in, in a couple of different places. One was at the brokerage. The other one was at home. Like my wife and family have been incredibly um, supportive of my real estate career and, and they get it when the phone rings, Hey, that's how dad makes money. So sometimes you're dropping, uh, <laughs> you're dropping off in the middle of uh, family dinner and you got to run because Hey, if your client doesn't get into that property that just listed, um, they're, they're not getting it. So like, 
it's so what what did you do in terms of lead generation what did you do in terms of systems what did you do in terms of follow up like you know there's all of these things that like i said agents join teams for right so they join teams for leads they join teams for money because they they don't typically know how to lead generate on their own or they're you know they're deficient in certain areas so you know let's start there like how did you how did you go from having x amount of leads coming in per month to like potentially zero amount of leads coming in per month or the, the, the tap, the faucet got turned off to a trickle. Uh, conversations again, like, uh, ABCs, you know, that's an old uh, real estate saying, always be closing, kind of taking a different approach to that. Um, not always be closing, always be connecting. And that means like, you know what, oh, I the love phone's that. not just going to ring. You got to call people and you know what, it's not just to call them up and say like, Hey, what's, uh, you know, you guys think you might be thinking of selling or buying. It's kind of like, Hey, how's it going? How are you doing? And asking questions and just, you know, they obviously will get to that point in the conversation where they ask what you're doing, but it's staying top of mind for people. And I think like, that's where, you know, social media kind of kicks into that. It's like, just, you know, the odd thing, staying top of mind for people is, is super important. And that's where uh, it really kind of hit. So you focused on, you focused on database management, basically, is, is you went back yeah. to what you knew and the people that you knew, and you started to focus 100% on your database. Totally. Wishing somebody a happy birthday, uh, knowing that it was their birthday and different stuff like that, like just following that and being really um, cognizant of what's going on with the people that I have in my sphere of influence. And then just knowing that uh, people are going to have these conversations. Like one of the things for me was, with the investment properties, um, having tenants and carefully selecting tenants that were going to take awesome care of my properties and building relationships with those tenants. Well, in just this last year, I had two tenants that turned into first time home buyers, which was right. absolutely fantastic. Like it kind of makes me wish I had 10 or 12 doors and right. I could just keep that cycle going. I'd be like, man, this is amazing. But it's just having those conversations with people and not just like, I mean, so many people will, uh, they'll call the bank to find out if they can qualify for a mortgage. And it's, a, it's like a yes or no answer. There's nothing else to follow up with it. So mm-hmm. call a mortgage, call a mortgage broker that's going to follow up and it's actually going to see the value in taking you from point A where it's a dream to where it's reality. I mean, I've worked with a mortgage broker two years, two and a half years on some clients and you wouldn't believe how grateful a first time home buyer is when they, were guided all that way through, like, you know, getting their down payment, figuring yes. out how to take care of debt. And they had like two points of contact through that real estate agent and mortgage broker. Right. Literally. It's uh, such a rewarding experience. And, uh, you know, I think there's so many um, agents that don't bother to build that relationship with a broker. And they're just like, well, check with the bank. And if you qualify, great. We'll go out looking at homes. If, if you don't, well, uh, Call me back when you do. Like, so a- I know you've you've taken some training around this as well, right? Maybe talk a little bit about Ninja and what Ninja selling is. Oh, Ninja! I mean, it was an absolutely fantastic program. Um, I think the first year, the biggest draw that I took from from Ninja would have been just setting goals and um, connecting with people, like a couple thank you notes, affirmations, uh, just being grateful, the, the frequency that you're resonating on. Um, if you're out there, you know, spreading a positive message, that's gonna come back in some way, shape or form, just, just doing that. And I'd say my first go around with Ninja, I probably maybe, maybe only 15 or 20% of it actually sunk in. And uh, then going around the second time, I realized, wow, there's all these other things that I can add into it at the same time. I mean, Ninja is a really great program and it just, it kind of teaches you how to connect with people and to do it in a manner that's going to be well-received. Yeah. So for any listener that doesn't know, uh, Ninja Selling is a book. It was written by Larry Kendall. It was a program that was created years and years and years ago. I think probably 15, 20 years ago. Um, He owns a a brokerage called The Group Inc. out of Fort Collins, Colorado. And and he has taught this to his salespeople, 250 to 300 salespeople, um, you know, year in and year out. And this is how they operate their business. Their average agent, I believe in that brokerage back when I took Ninja in 2012, their average agent was doing like 30 transactions a year, which, you know, is 
about four to five times the average here in our market, right? I think according to NAR, it's actually closer to ten times what what uh, what the what the NAR average is in terms of in terms of agent actual. Um, transactions on a yearly basis. So, um, you know, and a lot of these agents did this without any lead generation, like web legion, online lead generation, right? I think at the time, eight years ago, when I took the course, it was like, well, how many of these agents actually have websites? Well, they have the company generated website that we give them and the majority of our agents uh, just use that. Uh, out of out of the 300 agents at the time, I think there was like three to five that actually had a, a different standalone website where they were generating their own leads. But it's incredible to me that that these agents were plugged into this plan where it was like they get up early in the morning, they write uh, daily affirmations down in their journal. Maybe there's some meditation stuff. They're putting good energy out into the world. That isn't it though, right? Like you can't just go around being Mr. Guy Smiley, happy guy, right? And throwing good good energy into the world and think, oh, well, now, now I'm just going to sit down because the freaking phone is going to ring, right? Shit like that does not happen. There's still work that needs to take place. Right. So what was the work that you put in? So, you know, database follow up, we were talking about, you know, knowing when your clients actually had birthdays. So that tells me that you've probably got a CRM, right? Some sort of a reminder there. So what does what does the ninja selling system look like for Robin on a daily basis? Well, like, uh, say, for example, anniversaries, you know, like every time that you have an anniversary, you enter it into your database. So somebody took possession of a home. Um, letting them know, hey, did you know uh, it's been two years? And then doing a doing a follow up with them, and not being scared necessarily to, uh, you know, I mean, our market's been kind of dwindling over the last five years, so that's a tough conversation for a lot of agents to call up somebody that bought a house and say, like, hey, are you interested to know like what your current investment would sell for in today's market? But I mean, I, I think that that's where again they want they want to know, but a lot of agents are scared to call because it's like, well your house might be worth 20 or $25,000 less than what it was when you guys bought. But being able to deliver that information in a manner that like, hey, well, imagine if you guys had been just changing the perspective on it and, and saying like, you know, in a different market or if you guys were still renting, um, all that money that you guys would have put into your home would have gone to your landlord. So it, it, calling them up and it's not necessarily, uh, you know, a lot of times, People will call when there's good information to share, but I don't mind calling when there's not so good information to share either and being that point of reference, because even if it, their life's changed and they were taking a move in a different direction, um, I still want them to reach out to me as their point of contact. So, I mean, doing that with the anniversaries, uh, birthdays, trying to post on social media, um, the ninja stuff, like the ninja path is a very narrow path and it's hard to stay on. And I, I'd have to say that I've fallen off the ninja path so many times but it's knowing that there's a set method that you can go back to. And it doesn't matter where you fell off as long as you get back on and you're going to fall off. I mean, like saying that you're going to do something um, day in, day out for 356 days of the year, it's not going to happen. You're going to hit struggles along the way. Life is going to happen, but you're, you're, like I said, you fall off, you get back on. That's it. Like right. if you, if you want to succeed and get more successful, Get used to failing more. Get used to you know taking risks and doing different things that are outside of your uh, outside of your comfort zone. Right. So, um, do you have any sort of online lead generation stuff that you're doing? Like, how are you generating leads for yourself at this point? Is it just 100% focused on database management? You know, um, website. I have a website. I thought that was one of the great things. Like when I was with the team, um, I wasn't, I didn't really care. We had a team website that was fantastic. Um, part of the one, one of the value draws with Remax was um, you get a website as part of your brokerage feed. So I was like, oh, this is great. I've got a nice looking website. I can direct all of uh, my social media towards that. I can direct uh, people to it. They can search for homes. Um, so that's about as far as it's gone. And I think uh, like right now I'm looking at that quite closely and like nothing's really coming of it. And the whole lead generation space is for me, it, it feels kind of scary because to me, lead generation means like as much money as you're willing to pour something is what you'll get out of it. And I'm like, I'm pretty uh, protective of how I'm going to invest my marketing dollars. And if it means that just spending X amount of dollars so that I can get a certain amount of leads, I want to be really, really careful about how I do that. And I just, right. 
you know, I see so many agents out there, you know, that are, that are trying to break into that space. And I mean, if you just focus on that and I, I find more value focusing on my database. Honestly. Well, there's, there's so many vendors out there today as well, right? They're, they're always, they're, they're trying to sell the, the next magic bullet, the next magic pill. It's like what, you know, the silver bullet to your business is generating 150 leads a month. Well, the, I don't know an agent alive right now that can handle 150 online leads in a month. It's just no way. Right. I mean, when I was running my team, I mean, I would typically do all between 20 and 30 leads in a month, you know, and that's the most that, uh, you know, a good agent can actually handle. Cause you know, you have to understand the life of an online lead is like six to 12 months incubation period before you start to actually see some of that business start to turn over. Right. Whereas with, with a database managed type business where you're going after your sphere of influence, you're going after your past clients, you're continually that, you know, continually fostering that conversation and that relationship, you know, you don't have to try very hard. You know, there isn't really a lot that all you got to do is be a human being, pick up the phone or, or send off an email, shoot a text, do whatever, right? Just remember that they were important to you at some point and are still important to you at this point in time, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So yeah, man, kudos sure. to you. I, 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 this is, you're, you're probably one of the first agents I think that I've talked to that is like, you know, hundred percent database management, you know, pulling out 30, 40, 50 transactions in a year. You know, if, if we're to look at your spreadsheet and get an understanding as to where all of your deals come from, you know, you're probably repeat referral is probably somewhere in that 80th, 90th percentile. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. And like going back to what you were saying before about like how many leads can you handle? Um, and this was one of the things that came out of uh, Ninja for me. Uh, you know, those leads come in when they come in. And like part of the, uh, the training being on the team was the quicker that you can respond to that lead, the more likely that they're going to react. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's great. That's fantastic. But like what really hit me in the ninja training was becoming an on-purpose agent versus an on-accident agent. And like, so on-purpose isn't like, oh, you know, you're, you're just getting into sitting down for, you know, family dinner or, you know, anniversary dinner. And then all of a sudden the phone's vibrating. It's like, oh shit, I got, I've got to respond to this lead or they're going to be on to the next thing, right? So you know, that was a, that was a big part of it. I, I didn't see that model being something for me that could be sustainable. I want to build my business that my clients could expect certain things. And it's okay for like, I mean, one of the things that came out of it too, is it's okay to, um, for somebody to get voicemail. Sometimes uh, you don't have to answer the phone every time. And like, that was one of the things that came out of the training was uh, it's actually a really good practice to get into is when you get somebody's voicemail, being able to leave a message to them that, you know, doesn't necessarily mean they have to call you back, just that you were thinking about them and uh, that's all it has to be. It doesn't have to be anything right. more than that. You know, no real big call to action or anything. Hey, you just crossed my mind the other day. Um, thought I'd see how you were doing. Hope everything's going great. Uh, we'll chat with you soon. And just dropping that out there. It's phenomenal. You know, so uh, and it, it took me a long time to figure out in this business work-life balance. And you had taught, and some people say it doesn't exist in this business. I tend I have a tendency to dis <laughs> disagree with that. Um, you know, you you talked a couple of times, you mentioned a couple of times about, you know, dropping everything or in the middle of dinner, grabbing that phone call or, you know, a lead comes in and I, or, and, you know, somebody calls me and I got to jump up in the middle of dinner and take off and go show that house or whatever. Right. You know, my days of jumping and running are pretty much done and over with. Like, I mean, I, I've got some pretty, and I'm, you know, I'm, kind of long in the tooth in this business now I'm like 14 years in right I'm on year 14 you know so I can I think that I have the luxury to be able to say that you know I, I'm not going to be out showing properties at at uh, nine o'clock at night um, you know if unless we're in a transaction together I'm probably not answering your phone call if you're a lead or or you know something like you know a client or whatever and apologize to my clients, but if you're calling, if we're not like friends outside of work and you're, and you're calling me at nine o'clock at night, I'm either, you know, putting my kids to bed or I'm in bed myself, or I'm off reading or, you know, it's downtime for me, right? Totally. Work is done and I, I, I put things away. And so setting up boundaries, where are you at right now? Five years in the business. When I was five years in the business, I had zero boundaries, like none. I was that guy that jump and ran. Right. So I'm curious, have you been able to put up, set some boundaries for yourself? What does that, does work-life balance actually exist in your world? 
Yeah, it definitely is starting to uh, take its uh, take shape for for my business, and I mean that's been one of the really rewarding parts about going out on my own. Um, you know, being able to just leave for a couple of days and know that your clients are going to be taken care of. Um, obviously, uh, you know, everybody needs to find a, an agent or two maybe that they align with where it's like, you know what, I'm going on a quick family trip. Uh, this is what's coming up. Can you look after that for me? So that's important. I was able to, uh, you know, find that within the brokerage, which was fantastic. And just setting the expectations. I mean, like if, if you drop everything for a new client or even somebody that doesn't necessarily know you might come as a referral, that person's going to come to expect that all the time. That 9.30 phone call, that's normal. They're like, oh, well, Robin, that's all he does is answer his phone. And sometimes that's about letting them know that, you know what, look, I've got a life too. And I, I love it. One of the best things that, uh, you know, I always hear from a client would be like, oh man, we know you're so busy. I'm like, you know what, I really respect that. So let's set times, setting that next meeting and just getting that right off the bat allows you to sit down, whether it's Sunday or whenever you sit down and plan your week and really being able to say like, Hey, this, you know what you're doing on Wednesday already kind of on Sunday, because that's already in the works, not just sort of um, I'm going to fly by the seat of my pants and who knows what, what's happening. I mean, uh, I always love hearing agents say when they're busy, but it's like, are you busy in a good way? Or are you busy um, just chasing after whatever you may not have, uh, planned for or scheduled properly. Oh, I'm so busy um, today. Oh yeah. What'd you do? Well, I had to go take this lockbox down and I had to put this sign up and I, you know, I had to drop off these flyers and I, and it's like, okay, so that's definitely busy. Were you, I guess the question is, were you productive in any of that? Totally. Right. Like totally big difference between the two being busy and being productive. Like today I am, I am busy. I am definitely not productive. This will probably be the most productive part of my day right here, shooting this podcast. Right. Oh, and so, man. you know, and, and so sometimes, sometimes that happens, right. Sometimes, sometimes we have those days, right. And there really isn't a whole lot that we can do about it, but as long as it's planned and scheduled out, right. You know, full well, when you wake up in the morning, like, Holy shit, I've got a busy day, but it's busy doing things that just need to get done. Like shit needs to happen sometimes. Right. Um, understanding and, and realizing that you're probably not going to be productive during that day. Hey, listen, there's five, six, seven days in the week. So, you know, choose, choose a day to, as your, as your makeup day to, to make up for the day that you were busy, the day that you want to actually be productive. So yeah, man. Hey, listen, it, it, uh, it's been great chatting with you. This has been a, a great, easy flowing conversation and, uh, I really appreciate your time, brother. Really do. Absolutely. No, this was, this was great. Uh, like I said, uh, it's it's conversations i i gotta say like um you know if you don't ask or if you you don't uh seek then you're never going to find like getting complacent i don't know like i i have a lot of admiration for um, one of the excerpts out of uh, something that i was reading a while back it was uh it was something that david grohl um if you're not if you're familiar with yep. david grohl and the foo fighters um yep. how they came to be a band and it was just people that got together in a garage and made noise until they were good, literally. And I mean, like, that's kind of uh, what you have to do and be okay with failing. Like, you know what, just do something, right? Like that was literally the, the whole draw was like, you know what, get out of your comfort zone, do the things that you, you know, are going to propel you forward. Like here, look at us. I stepped out of my comfort zone today. A podcast for me isn't necessarily something that I'd be, uh, you know, totally comfortable with chatting about stuff chatting about myself but you know what to level up here we are and look at us making noise man giddy up man i love it all right <laughs> well let's leave it there don't go anywhere i want to talk to you right after we after i hit the uh, the stop button on the recording so there you go there you have a real conversations podcast i'm your host kelly scar thank you so much to robin shidlowski today uh hopefully you guys got something out of it make sure that if you're listening on itunes go ahead leave us a review i believe we're up to like 10 five-star reviews right now. So that's fantastic. Please leave us a review there. If you're listening on to, on, on any of the other podcast uh, networks out there, please go ahead, leave us a review if there's, if there is that uh, opportunity, if you're watching this on YouTube and you've made it to this point, I think we're at like 43 minutes in something like that. Hey, congratulations. Please leave us a comment down below and I'll be sure to answer. Hope you guys have a fantastic day. Cheers and take care.